You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I have many great memories of my time here at the Advent, both as a member and as an acolyte. My first preaching experience was here. It was Youth Sunday, probably back in 1968, and for some unknown reason, I was assigned to do the sermon on Youth Sunday. So the Saturday night before, I went out on a date, got home about 11 o'clock, and I I remember uh, my mother waiting for me when I got home. And uh, she said, uh, she didn't ask me how the date went. She said, are you ready for tomorrow? And I said, "Uh, what's tomorrow? She said, well, it's Youth Sunday, and you're preaching. And I had forgotten. I said, oh, I forgot. And so mom and I pulled an all-nighter, pretty much, and uh, I prepared something of a sermon. And all I can remember is uh, getting through it and finishing, and there wasn't a whole lot of feedback after it was over. And, um, but no one would have predicted that I would have ended up in the career that I've ended up in uh, after, that, after that particular Sunday. So it just goes to show that God has a sense of, of irony, a sense of paradox, perhaps a sense of humor. And that uh, he uses the weak things of the world to, to shame the wise. So it's, it's a great honor and privilege to be here with you today uh, to have a second chance uh, at redemption in the pulpit here. So uh, I would like to bring up before you two concerns that I have for the church of the, the 21st century. I believe our worship of God is shallow, and I believe our obedience to God is half-hearted. And the result is that our reputation before a, a watching world is, is not so good. It's not just because of the bad behavior of of evangelicals or the politicizing of the word evangelical, which are problems in and of themselves, but the reason runs a bit deeper than that. I believe we don't worship as we should. We don't take obedience to God seriously. Our lives don't reflect His character. We live inconsistent lives before a watching world, and the world is, is not impressed. How can we correct that? We're going to look at Psalm 95 today and tomorrow, and it deals with both worship and obedience. It's going to be familiar to Episcopalians. It's the Vanity and the Order for Morning Worship. And we begin today with worship. We'll talk more about obedience tomorrow. Biblically speaking, worship is our highest value. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the priority of the worship of God by the people of God. We were created to worship God. It's where we find our reason for existence, our fulfillment and joy are in the worship of God. John Stott, late rector of All Souls Langham Place, he said, God wired us, each one of us, for three things, transcendence, significance, and community. Worship is where we get our transcendence. We all long to be part of something greater than ourselves, some cause, some team, some movement that we think is significant. Well, we're, the worship of God is the ultimate experience of transcendence. It's the highest and best cause, the best team, the highest movement to be a part of. John Piper famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Christ died to give us access to God in worship. Worship is where we connect with God really and personally. So worship ought to be life-changing, empowering, energizing, but sadly it is often not that. How does that change? Well, it changes as we begin to worship as the Bible instructs us to worship in Psalm 95, gives us a window into that. Psalm 95 instructs us to worship joyfully, humbly, and obediently because God is a great God 
and worthy of our sincere, heartfelt, and focused worship. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Well, it begins by encouraging us to worship joyfully. Verses 1 and 2, the words sing for joy, shout joyfully, sing with thanksgiving, shout joyfully with songs, prominent emphases here in this psalm. It's a picture of joyful enthusiasm, exuberance, and real enjoyment in worship. John Wesley encouraged his people to sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you are half dead or asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang last night in the pub. You might tell us today, sing like you're at a karaoke party or a karaoke bar. Sing. Why? Because the Lord is a great God. Three aspects to His greatness are brought out here. He's the rock of our salvation. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you know Him as your rock, your strength, your anchor. The reference really is to the rock in the book of Exodus where Moses struck the rock and the rock produced life-giving water as Jesus does to those who trust in him. He's the king above all gods. There are really no other gods. He's talking about idols and idols are cheap imitations of the one true and living God. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives, that gives us meaning, it gives us happiness, it gives us purpose other than God. And that's a big reason our worship is shallow. We worship other gods. Money, sex, power, pleasure, position, food, football, golf. I better stop there. He's also our creator. He's creator of the awesome beauty that we see all around us. The greatness of the cosmos, the amazing intricacies of the DNA strand. Creation declares the glory of God. We see it all around us. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the valleys, the mountains, the the heights of the mountains are his. The sea, everything in it, dry land. All are His. So we worship joyfully because of who He is and what He has done in salvation and creation. Next, we're instructed to worship humbly. Verse 6, we have a change in tone here. It's the same invitation to come and worship, but it's not in the same way. There's a change from exuberance to humility, from enthusiasm to sober, sober reflection, repentance, and prayer. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. So there's an interesting balance here, a very important balance, I believe, for worship. You've got joyful enthusiasm on one hand and quiet, reverential humility on the other. Joyful song, humble prayer. It's, it's, and it's easy uh, to go to extremes in worship. If it's all about exuberance, if it's only that and excitement and enjoyment, it, it can become self-absorbed emotionalism and shallow. But if it's only reverential humility and quietness, it becomes self-absorbed introspection and dead worship. Good worship has both elements. It's not either or, but both and. And wherever your preference may lie, and we all have a preference, we need to learn to appreciate both in our worship. And for the same reason we worship joyfully, we also worship humbly because our God is is a great God. We bow down because He is Lord. He is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God who initiates relationship with sinners, 
was faithful to that covenant and faithful to his people. He's Yahweh, he's Lord. He's also our maker. The emphasis here is not on creation, but on us. He's made us individually. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist says elsewhere, and he made each of us in his image with unique traits and gifts to uniquely serve him and reflect his glory. And we can say because he made us, he owns us, and we are accountable to him. Thirdly, in his greatness is expressed in the fact that he's our shepherd. Uh, we're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Uh, we'll talk more about our being sheep tomorrow, but today we focus on the fact that he's our shepherd. He cares for us. He looks out for us. He, he feeds us. He nourishes us, and he comes after us when we stray. This is biblical worship. It's a balance of joy and humility, rejoicing and repentance because of his greatness, who he is and what he has done for us in creation and salvation. And some, we can say biblical worship is about two things. It's about making him great and making ourselves small before him. So how do we learn to worship in this way? How do we transform our worship and get ourselves transformed in the process? I suggest three ways of application, three points of application. One, be converted. We need to be converted. We cannot worship like Psalm 95 instructs us to unless we know him personally. One of my great memories is hearing John Stott speak here. Brinkley Morton, the rector, had John Stott in to speak probably in 1976. I was a young Campus Crusade staff member. And Stott and I was invited with all the other Episcopal rectors and curates here. And Stott was talking about renewing and reviving your church. And he says the first thing you need to do, man, is to get your people thoroughly converted Make sure they know Christ. The point he's making is that you can be in church and not know Christ. He speaks of his own, Stott speaks of his own conversion as a 17-year-old in the biography by Timothy Dudley Smith. Here then is the crucial question. Have we ever opened our door to Christ? Have we ever invited him in? This is exactly the question which I needed to have put to me. For intellectually speaking, I had believed in Jesus all my life on the other side of the door. I had regularly struggled to say my prayers through the keyhole. I had even pushed pennies under the door in a vain attempt to pacify him. I had been baptized, yes, and confirmed as well. I went to church, read my Bible, had high ideals, tried to be good and do good. But all the time, often without realizing it, I was holding Christ at arm's length and keeping him outside. I knew that to open the door might have momentous consequences, but I'm profoundly grateful to him for enabling me to open the door. Looking back now over more than 50 years, I realize that that simple step has changed the entire direction, course, and quality of my life. You can be in church and not know God. It's not just an Anglican or Episcopalian problem. In every church, there are professors of faith in Christ and possessors of faith in Christ. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Make sure that you have done that. It's the only way you'll experience joy and humility and life-changing worship. That was my experience. I opened the door of my life to Christ as a 16-year-old. It had changed my life and also changed my worship. That's the first thing I noticed. Worship was exciting and enjoyable. Worship came alive. Second, be engaged. Be converted. Second, be engaged. This is a challenge to engage mind, heart, body, and will to focus on Him. Jesus said to the Pharisees, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's a problem too. Our lips are there, but our hearts are far from him. We're easily distracted in worship. We're thinking of a thousand things. Complicating it is our, our electronics, phones, tablets, and social media are ever-present and calling us away. 
In my generation, the mantra was tune in, turn on, and drop out. If you'll forgive me for a little corn here, today I would recommend tune in, turn off, and focus in. Turn off our media and focus on Him in worship, whether public or private. Put your distractions away, open your heart to Him, be engaged in worship. Think about what's going on. Sing with your heart. Pray with your heart. Listen, hear the Word of God. It's God speaking to you. It's personal interaction with God. We speak to Him. He speaks to us. Thirdly, be there. Thirdly and finally, it's be there. Worship is not just a num- one of a number of good options on Sunday. We're commanded to worship. And actually, it's one of the easier commands to obey. To get out of bed, get dressed, get in your car, whatever transportation, get to a place of worship, get out and walk in and worship. But I'm amazed at the casual attitude about worship and some of the flimsy excuses that we give for not being in worship on the Lord's Day. And I'm not going to talk about whatever views of Sabbath you might have, whether it's Saturday, Sunday, or one day in seven. The point is that we need to be in worship. We're commanded to be there from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm, in, in the U.S., I've worked with some of the leading churches in the U.S. and the pastors there say if we can get two out of four, get our leaders in church in two out of four Sundays of the month, we're doing good. In my mind, that's, that's a tragedy. The young man planting a church in Vienna, trying to build a core group, and as he's gathering people, he says, I need you to be here with me every Sunday. We're going to start a worship service, and I need you to be here every Sunday to help me set up. And he looked at him like he was from another planet and said, I can't be here every Sunday. Nobody can tell me that I have to be in any place every Sunday. I just can't do that. I've got other things to do. That's the prevailing attitude. So let me encourage you to be countercultural, to be there, to make Sabbath holy, to make worship the high point of your week. Worship is about Him. It's about making Him great and making ourselves small. Let's be converted. Let's be engaged. Let's be there. The church is in a battle. We know that. The souls of men, women, and children. It's all too evident. All we have to do is listen into the news every day. C.S. Lewis put it this way, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you're really listening in, listening into the secret wireless from our king. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. It's where we get our leadership, where we get our orders, where we get our inspiration to fight the good fight. So let's make sure we know him. Let's be engaged with Him in our worship. Let's, let's be there. Let's remember, we can only worship in this way because Jesus died to give us access. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we're thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for us to open the door so that we can have access to You and know You and worship You experience your presence and live the life you've called us to live. Help us, Lord, to transform our worship, to worship joyfully, humbly, be engaged with you, hear your voice, and respond with joy and, and humility and repentance and obedience to you, which we'll look at more tomorrow. Help us to worship in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.